Pastor Mark's out in Kansas tonight, so uh, he couldn't be here. So um, he says he promises. He texted me today. He says he promises that he'll be back next week. Ha ha. Promises, promises. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. If you would like to turn there tonight, please. Ephesians 4, chapter 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Okay, so we're studying through... Uh, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And the overall theme of this series is... Anybody want to volunteer? Okay, I'll help you out. Spiritual starts with a T. Yeah! Somebody got it. Transformation. The overall theme of the book of Ephesians is spiritual transformation. We've seen that the epistle to the Ephesians is split into two parts... The first half addresses the current spiritual status of believers in Jesus Christ, the privileges and the blessing and the power that belong to us because we belong to Jesus. Uh, these are the what we call the fruits of transformation. These are things listed in these first three chapters. These are what we see in the life of a person when he has been transformed or is being transformed by Jesus Christ. The second half deals with what transformed believers do. There are details of expectations of us in these chapters and responsibilities given to us by God. And these expectations and responsibilities can be carried out only by transformed individuals. You have to be transformed before you can carry out all this stuff that Paul lays out here because that's the, our spiritual man is crippled and unable to pull this stuff off unless God comes inside of us and, and makes us new on the inside. We're going to see more about that in just a second. So a real believer in Christ can meet these high and uncompromising standards. We can do that. We possess on the inside a power that enables us to follow through on these demands, commands, and this is very important to understand first uh, before we read these verses because these verses are pretty strong. Chapters 4 through 6 contain so many imperatives, things that we've got to do, that these lists of things that are expected of us can almost get overwhelming at times. And we see words and phrases like, be completely humble, live worthy, be patient. Make every effort to keep unity. Speak the truth in love. Grow up. So tonight, in this study, it's the same kind of tone in this letter of Paul. I tell you this. I insist on it. You must. You must put off falsehood. Do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. So it's, you know, it's sobering language. It's imperative language. There's, there's a point to it from him. That's why it's all prefaced with the first three chapters of Ephesians where Paul says, here's who you are and here's the great blessing that God has given you so that you can be these people. 
When you talk about spiritual transformation being a necessity for us, it implies, first of all, that something is wrong. You know, it means that, you know, we wouldn't need to be transformed unless there was something there that needed to be changed. Why would a person need to be changed? There are several reminders to the Ephesian believers in this letter telling them basically, you were this, but you are this now. You were this, but not any longer. Uh, implying that a change has taken place somewhere in them. And for a person wanting to please God, wanting to serve God, love God, know God, a transformation does have to take place first. And we call that salvation. Salvation is when God deconstructs us and then reconstructs us from the inside out. Salvation comes to me when I realize that there is nothing in myself that is salvageable. There is nothing I can do to make myself more pleasing, more holy, less dirty, or less sinful, so that God and I can love each other and have a relationship. There's just nothing I can do about that. I am that way, and it's going to take a miracle for me to be something else. And that's what we'd call salvation. So God, knowing that I am unsalvageable, comes to me and he puts to death all of that old stuff in me and recreates me on the inside as a totally new human being. And now I have new abilities and new desires. I am really a different person uh, in um, when you're in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said, you're a new creation. What that means is, you're a new species. There's a, it's another word in the Greek for species. You become a completely different kind of human being. So, that is what we call being born again. And Jesus said, no man or woman can see heaven until he or she has been born again. And this letter of Ephesians is written, not to just anybody... It's written to those who have been born again, who happened to live in Ephesus at that time. And in it are contained guidelines for every Christian believer and for our behavior, what to do and what not to do if you're a Christian. God is not naive. He never assumes that once a person is born again, he will automatically understand how to act in every situation. It's not quite that simple. He knows that a gradual transformation has to occur in that born again person in which he becomes more and more like Christ every day. That's understood in the Bible. What the born again part does is place us uh, in a, or put us in a place where we have the power now to change and the ability to receive God's grace and the ability to communicate with God. All things that are absent in a person who is not born again, we receive during, in the moment that we exercise faith in Jesus and we are born again. We know that newborn babies grow into children. And it's kind of like that. When you're born again, born into a new kingdom, you're, you're like a baby in the faith. 
but eventually babies grow up. They develop into kids, children who can listen, children who can understand and obey their parents. And so that is why Paul began this section of Ephesians 4 with its, its stronger language. I insist, I urge, you must, okay? And when I tell my kids, they're grown up now, but when they were smaller, when I told my kids, I insist or you must, I always was expecting a response from them. And for their own sake, (laughs) it needed to be the right response. Yes, dad. I don't sense that there are options here. Paul's not giving these guys an option to take it or leave it. He's saying, no, you need to do this. I don't sense that Paul is giving the church time to think about whether they should do this or not. Paul Scherer wrote this, To have a mind of your own is to offer another chance for the kingdom in the hands of God. To have no mind but your own is to be no more than the ghost of that chance forever. And let's be honest, the mark of a child is exactly that. For the most part, children think a lot about themselves and getting their way. Until mom and dad kind of have to step in and instruct them otherwise. It is as we grow to learn obedience and responsibility that we become productive people. And it has to be taught to us. And it means that we have to learn to respond to imperatives. And the very same thing is true in the kingdom of God. Look again at Paul's first instruction here. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It wasn't until recently that I discovered how often the word futile or futility is used in the New Testament regarding the situation of unbelievers in this world. Paul wrote to the Romans describing the situation of men without Christ. This is how he described. This is um, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, or futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 1 Peter 1.18, Peter reminded the church in his first epistle, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty, empty, also translated futile, way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. And Paul uh, preached to a crowd of people in the city of Lystra. Men, why are you doing this? They mistook Paul and Barnabas for Greek gods when Paul had performed a miracle there in Christ's name. We too, Paul said, are only men. We're human just like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless or futile things to the living God. And in all of these verses, the word futility in the Greek is connected to the word idol or idolatry. And to follow one's own mind and lean only to one's own darkened understanding of God is to create an idol in that mind. And the end of this thinking is futility. 
Not only that, when a person continues in this futility and fails to turn to God, there is a hardening in the heart that takes place. And that person, according to Paul in verse 19, loses all sensitivity. F.F. Bruce puts it this way, the hardening of their hearts is the progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. Let's say that again. The hardening of the heart is the progressive inability of our conscience to convict us of wrongdoing. Conscience serves as a witness to the law of God implanted within the human heart, but habitual ignoring of the warning signals that it sends out incapacitates us from fulfilling the proper function of the conscience. Bruce goes on to explain that the losing of sensitivity described in verse 19 derives from a classical Greek term which means primarily that one's skin has become callous and no longer feels pain. Well, guitar players and violin players or dancers or construction workers know about calluses. They know that when they are first putting pressure on a certain area of their hands or their feet, blisters form and there is a lot of pain and the temptation is to quit altogether in order to make the pain go away. Of course, in time, with persistence, the blister turns tough and the skin grows thick and insulates the skin surface from the nerve endings. There's a layer, multiple layers of skin that grow in there on a callus and they begin to insulate the surface of your skin from the nerve endings. The individual just doesn't feel the pain anymore. And that's okay when it has to do with the physical body. <laughs> You know, but it's not okay when it has to do with our conscience. That's not a good thing when we begin to develop a callus in our conscience. Chicago Tribune reporter interviewed an Afghan woman. Her name was Nasi Faz, concerning why so many Afghan women continue to use their veils even after being liberated from the Taliban. They hate these veils. And they are not under government enforcement, at least they were not for a while, to wear them after the U.S. was able to get into Afghanistan. But this one woman said, we have lived in darkness for so long that now we're afraid of the light. And the reminder to the Ephesians here is a warning. I insist, Paul said, that you listen to me on this, Ephesian Christians. Don't go back to what you were. Remember what's happened to your fellow Ephesians. Remember that some of them, the people that you live with in the same city, now suffer from calloused consciences. They've lost all feeling toward God, all sensitivity to right and wrong. And now they are plunged into futility and darkness. A few years ago, the Al-Qaeda terrorist Abu Musab al-Zarqawi was killed by U.S. forces in Iraq. And I read an article about this guy. It said that even the Al-Qaeda leaders had been warning him that his tactics were just too brutal 
and that he was offending Muslims throughout the Middle East by his bloodthirsty methods. Imagine a man that was so out of control that his own murderous companions have to tell him to back off. But that is what happens sometimes with a darkened conscience. I remember Saddam Hussein's ranting and raving in his court hearings in Baghdad. He swore that he was guilty of nothing. That he had nothing to do with the deaths of tens, tens of thousands of his own countrymen who perished at his command. We say, or we said at that time, many people did at least, they, they said he's insane. He's just totally off his lid. But there's something a lot darker that was contributing to the behavior of Saddam Hussein and this Al-Zarqawi. Something much darker. They, what they had done is they had pursued their futile ways. Their foolish hearts were darkened and they lost all sensitivity somewhere along the way in their lives. And Paul speaks to Christians. Remember, Christians. And remember, he's trying to help us remember what it's like back there in the old life. And what it's like out there by the people that surround us. He's saying, don't go back there, guys. You re do you remember the calloused ways that were out there? Do you understand the people out there with the calloused consciences? Don't be like that. Don't go back that way. Don't open yourself up to that kind of thing again debauchery, impurity, and covetousness breed more of the same. They can reproduce at an amazing rate in a darkened heart. And they give birth to what Paul called a continual lust for more. Now, if you find yourself in this condition tonight with this lust for futile things raging on the inside of you, and there doesn't seem to be a way out for you tonight. If you understand what Paul is talking about here when he uses the word futility, but you would like to live differently than that. Maybe you would like to live with purpose and meaning. If you find yourself slipping further and further into a very dark place in your life, and sense that it's time for a turnaround, you're in a good place tonight for that to happen. You are. But there's only one way out of your mess. There's only one way, not several ways. Those of us who are Christians have found that one way. And we've found, lo and behold, it works. His name is Jesus. He it is who gives life and hope and freedom and purpose and love and forgiveness and fulfillment to the empty heart. He does that if you come seeking Him. You can be that person tonight. You can. It all depends on your desire. John Maxwell said this, When it comes to change, there are three seasons of timing. People change when they hurt enough that they have to, when they learn enough that they want to, and when they receive enough that they're able to. 
If you're fed up enough tonight with the same old, same old, and if you hurt to the point of not wanting to hurt anymore, you are probably a candidate for knowing this wonderful, incredible Jesus Christ that many of us know. In a few moments, after I'm finished with my teaching, we'll pray together, and that'll be an opportunity for you to give your heart to Christ, get to know Him better. Let's continue reading in chapter 4 and verse 20. For you, however, did not come to know Christ that way, referring back to the Ephesian people who had, had become corrupt. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so this is a letter to believers in Christ, and Paul brings the Ephesians back to reality after reminding them and warning them of what was out there and what they had come out of. You don't come to know Christ, you didn't come to know Christ in that way. That way, meaning what he had just described, the bad stuff. You're different now. You have been transformed. You were that, now you're this. You have a new ability inside of you to behave differently. So these first two verses of this section portray believers as having been kind of like in school. This is not the kind of lesson you learned in the school of Christ, to kind of paraphrase it. You didn't learn this in the school of Christ. That's, that's not how you learn to live there. We've taught you to live a different way. The implication of this is that what they've learned points not only to right belief, but to right conduct, right behavior as well. When Paul was in Ephesus, he was teaching them about the first half of Ephesians, about who they were in Christ, but he was also teaching them about how to live. And he's reminding them of that right here. Paul was absolutely confident that the teaching they had received regarding their behavior and their relationship to Christ was solid. Therefore, he took it for granted that they had learned the right way and now all they had to do was follow through on it. His instruction regarding their behavior uses the terms putting off and putting on, both here in Ephesians and also in the epistle of Colossians. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off or put off your old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of the Creator. The old self, as Paul put it here, was the sum total of their former practices and tendencies and attitudes. That sum total was personified in Colossians, and it was called the old man. Maybe you've read that term in the New Testament, the old man. Well, that's what it means. The new self, or the new man, is also personified here, but not by what the man does, he, but because of what he was on the inside. It says in Colossians 3.10, renewed in knowledge in the image of its, or the new self's, 
creator. Here in Ephesians, Paul said that we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off, put on. Wax off, wax on. <laughs> we're, not a, we're not instructed to let God do that for us, are we? Putting off and putting on our actions, they are not spiritual properties. I am declared righteous on the inside when I believe in Jesus Christ. That is my new state of being. Therefore, I am enabled because of this transformation to put off or remove the old self and in turn put on the new self. I can do that because of my new abilities. One is a state of being, the other is an action. One God does, the other I do. God transforms me, I then behave like I've been transformed. You see the connection? And it all has to do with the first and second halves of Ephesians. And the putting off and putting on is a progressive thing. It doesn't all happen in one night. It's a transforming thing that happens, a process in you over a lifetime. It is a work of God's Holy Spirit in a person who has been touched by God. Paul wrote, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a process. Paul repeated himself in the very next chapter in 2 Corinthians, where I just read from, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so what I could not have done uh, five years ago, when I was a less mature believer, perhaps, I may now be able to do. Hopefully today, I contain more of the image of Christ in my life than I did five years ago. If so, it's only because God has been at work in me. It is because I have been putting off the old self and putting on the new self, but of course all by God's grace. Two things stand out to us when it comes to the spiritual growth and the spiritual responsibility that Paul is talking about here. First, it's gradual. It's a step-by-step -step process. And second, it's done in me by the Holy Spirit as I allow Him to work. <clears throat> and as I allow Him to work, He transforms me, He gives me new strength, new abilities, and then I can put off that old stuff. One of the things that surprises and saddens me in the lives of a few people that I know uh, in their inability, and, and these are Christian people that I know, and it's been over the years that I've met them and counseled them and worked with them, it, it is their inability to break out of these old ways. They seem stuck in time. Maybe you know somebody like that. For brief moments, they may see the new life that's out there waiting for them. They see it, and they may even get a taste of it. But after a while, they kind of go back to the old. They go back to the familiar. It's more comfortable. 
and certainly more miserable. The paradox is this. That old life sickens them. They know there's nothing there. They know there's no life there. They understand the total futility of it. Yet, through a series of choices that they make in the recesses of their minds and somewhere down deep inside in their will, they go back anyway. And instead of putting off the old life, they try it back on for size. And uh, unfortunately, it's still the same smelly, ragged old garment that it was before. (laughs) Here's the only problem. That same smelly old raggedy garment is slowly but surely becoming a death shroud. It's tragic to see that happen in a person's life. I hope that you're not letting that happen in your life. Because that's what's going on if you are. Don't let that happen. If Christ is in you, you can put off the old life. You can do it. Why would somebody want to do this? I'll be honest with you, I have no clue. I don't know. All I know is that it happens. So how much is enough for you tonight? How much? How sick of the old self do you need to become before you decide to really chuck it? Have you had enough of what Paul calls futility? Isn't it time for your thoughts and for your soul to be renewed? I'd say yes. There's no sense in being stuck like that. We can move on. Maybe you're perplexed regarding how this might ever happen in your life. But if you're a believer in Christ, you don't need to be perplexed. I used to be perplexed too. Until I began to realize that to put on the new man and to begin acting according to what I believed and accepted involved nothing more, nothing more than coming to God for help. Somebody say amen. It's not complicated. You just come to him and he would be more than happy to help you through this. We're talking about spiritual transformation, how it happens, and then how spiritually transformed people behave. Check out Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This section of Romans contains also a series of imperatives and exhortations very similar to the ones that we're studying in Ephesians. And right in the middle of this ongoing exhortation to the Romans, we find these verses from Paul. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Wax on, wax off. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There's the, you know, isn't that cool? There's the same language again in Romans that he's using in Ephesians that he's using in Colossians. Put it off. Put it on. Clothe yourself with what? Jesus himself. Isn't that awesome? Put on the new man, as Paul teaches in Ephesians, means putting on or clothing ourselves 
actually with Jesus Christ. I know it sounds abstract, but it's really not that complicated. To exercise faith in Christ, to receive Him into your heart by faith, to allow Him to cleanse your heart of sin and place His Spirit inside of you is what Paul means by clothing yourself with Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Pretend that you're Bruce Wayne, mild-mannered millionaire living on the outskirts of Gotham City, and there's trouble in Gotham. And so you descend into the Bat Cave. And there, waiting for you in a special glass case, is your Batman suit. And when you put on that suit, a transformation occurs. You are no longer this meek, mild, rich, suave Bruce Wayne. You are Batman, prepared to conquer any foe and win the world. <laughs> or you're like that mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, Clark Kent, who, when danger is afoot, slips into a phone booth and somehow miraculously changes his clothes in a phone booth and comes out as Superman. You put off Clark Kent and you put on Superman and you conquer evil. To be honest, the guys who created these characters kind of understood this biblical concept about putting on. They probably understood it better than a lot of us do. They knew that it was possible for a man or woman to do extraordinary things. So in their imagination, they came up with Batman and Superman. Now you're going to find this hard to believe, but they weren't really that far off, guys. <laughs> if you read the Bible front to back, you find that ordinary men and women, when clothed with Jesus Christ, did extraordinary things. Do we not find that out? They didn't need costumes. They did not need special visual effects. But they did clothe themselves with something that was very real and very powerful. They were clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you know the stories. You've read about them in the Bible. Amazing things done by very simple people. And do you know what was the most extraordinary thing that these heroes of God did, they began to live godly lives in an ungodly world. That's the most extraordinary thing you will ever accomplish on the face of this earth in your lifetime. If you can manage to live a godly life in an ungodly world, you are a hero. I'm telling you. They began to live godly lives in an ungodly world. And that sounds simple and it sounds boring until you try it. <laughs> and when you try it, you begin to see how extraordinary it is because you look back like Paul did and you go, you remember what you came out of? Look at you now. Wow. Uh-huh. Those things don't bind me anymore like they used to. Praise God. If you're struggling with this tonight, Christians, you may need a new outfit. 
You may need to discard the, the rags that you've been wearing and begin to clothe yourself with Christ. You may need to put on the new self, as Paul said, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And when you put on the new self, what you are really doing is clothing yourselves with Christ himself. Pretty cool. When it comes down to new clothes and superhero outfits, you cannot do better than that. I'm telling you. Awesome, huh? There is, uh, I, I have to give a little bit of a warning. If you've got kids in here tonight, I'm going to show a clip, a movie clip from The Lord of the Rings to conclude. And if anyone's sensitive to Gollum in here, if you know who he is, it's a great, great illustration of what I've been talking about tonight. But uh, it is a little scary for some people. But not to me. So we're going to look at it. Let's take a look at this clip. We told him to go away, and he did. Great illustration of Smeagol making a decision, huh? There's two personalities in this devil. And uh, for a moment, a one victorious moment, Smeagol, by a choice and by force of will, decides, 
I'm telling Gollum to go away and never come back. And it dawns on him at the end there, hey, that really works. <laughs> I don't have to live to be a slave to Gollum the rest of my life. I'm Smeagol. I'm in control of my life. It's a great illustration of you and me. We're in control. Jesus has transformed us. We're new people. We have the power to say no to Gollum. <laughs> Ain't that cool? We can do it. You can do it. Gone. Gone. We told him to go away and away he goes, precious. Smeagol is free. Awesome. Let's pray. Maybe you're here tonight and some of the things that I've been sharing make sense. Maybe some of the things uh, that uh, we've been talking about uh, have been hitting you in your heart. And it's dawning on you that, that uh, you're tired. You're just tired tonight of living that old life. And, uh, and the things that the way they've been are just not satisfactory for you. Uh, you're living in pain. Uh, you're living day-to-day uh, -day in futility. You feel very little hope about your future uh, and, and have lost the purpose for your life. And you're sensing in your heart, maybe tonight, that, that God is the way. That uh, it's time for you to, to get serious about your relationship with God. I'm going to give you that opportunity tonight just to say a prayer with me. I invite everyone just to say this prayer together with me tonight. And... Say it from your heart and mean it. You'll be surprised about what God can do in you as you talk to Him about your condition. Let's say this together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I realize tonight that I need you. I'm tired of living this way. And I want to change. Please forgive me of my sins. Give me a new heart so that I can follow you and begin to live with purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.